There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to At The Margin. Today's guest is Professor Anya Shortland, who is Professor in Political Economy at King's College London. Professor Shortland does some really interesting work on the economics of crime and will speak to us today about the economic dynamics at play in hostage situations. Today's episode is on the economics of kidnapping. If you'd like to hear more about this work, uh, Professor Shortland has a book called Kidnap, which I'd recommend. It's actually a really interesting topic and one that taught me that a lot of this, these economic rules and regulations that we think as being contrived human constructs are actually based on some sort of innate human dynamics. If criminals can create similar rules to what maybe governments create, well then maybe there must be some, some sort of natural order going on. Before we get stuck in, I'll give you a quick reminder about the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash at the margin. I'll up some more material there over the next couple of days. Some patrons were interested in hearing a bit about my own journey in economics, and uh, I'll try and cover that in the Patreon over the next few days. Okay, then, I hope you enjoyed this chat with Professor Shortland. Well, thanks a million for, uh, for taking the time to speak. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, looking through some of your papers, and um, I work in environment and energy myself, and when everybody, somebody asked me, am I in a, what do I do when I say an economist? I hear they sort of roll their eyes and say, oh, that's boring stuff in the news. And I try to explain how uh, environment and energy can be exciting. But you've got an even more compelling uh, story to tell because of the work you do on, on kidnapping and and art and, and interesting topics like that. Maybe to start off, for people who aren't as familiar with your work, could you tell us how you got into that area? It'd be very interesting to hear. Well... A lot of textbooks in economics make a lot of assumptions that are not very true. Like there's always an unbiased third-party arbitrator, contracts will be enforced or are enforceable, etc. And um, when I started looking at uh, civil conflict countries, I I realised that there might not be a state at all or there might not be a law or that law enforcement was non-existent and that people were applying completely different standards to what was right and wrong and they never even referred to the law. So I thought, well, what happens if I relax all of those assumptions? How do markets function when there isn't a state or when whatever you're doing is under the radar of the state? How do you make a contract then? Mm. Um, and is it enforceable? Who would enforce it? How can you make it self-enforcing? And I got really fascinated by the economics of crime and, and, and how the economic underworld um, makes these huge markets 
in, in, in drugs and in weapons and smuggled goods and in, 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 in looted antiquities, etc. function? How, how does it actually work if property rights are not defined by the state, if you have to define your own property rights, if you have to enforce your own property rights? That's actually a really interesting observation because it suggests to me that, or it's, it, it's a compelling argument that the whole idea of economics and the different rules that we come up with aren't as arbitrary as some might think, that they are things that sort of perpetuate intrinsically in, in some way, shape or form, um, to a certain extent, maybe not as pure as the theory might suggest, but there, there is some intrinsic uh, value there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what we've got here in the UK and in Europe broadly, if um, governments stick to the rule of law in particular, um, you, you have rules that, that, that minimise transaction costs. But people will also be able to do stuff and invest money and make trades work and make international trades work when, when, when you don't have an environment that, that gives them ready-made rules. And they come up with really fascinating ideas yeah and and i've made it my business to to, to study that grassroots bottom-up governance uh, where people are either taking a set of rules and saying well how do, how do how do we apply them how do we make these rules work so the sort of private enforcement of public law idea or how do you operate under the radar of this system what can we do in the shadows um and and, and where do we have to invent invent things from scratch Moving on then to think about kidnapping. Um, kidnapping is something that most people are familiar with, but very thankfully at arm's length. Could you tell us a bit about maybe how this came on your radar and how how pervasive it is and in what context it tends to happen and what context you've, you've studied it? I started off by looking at Somali piracy. And uh, there was a, it was a big thing in the media about these violent modern-day pirates um, going into the international shipping lanes and taking these innocent sailors hostage and getting million-dollar ransoms. And what I found fascinating was that this was a business, that although there was violence, it was uh, very carefully dosed and it wasn't applied um, arbitrarily, it was done with a purpose, with the purpose of minimising violence and maximising the value in the business. I was also really fascinated by the idea that you could tie up a million-dollar asset in plain view of the Somali coast, which was supposed to be anarchic. So I thought, well, what, what are the institutions that make this work as a business? what makes the pirates behave in this way, what makes them behave in this business-like way. You could see that there's a lot of self-interest um, in that. But what I found particularly interesting in this area was the uh, strong involvement of Lloyds of London and um, uh, insurers in shaping the incentives of pirates by taking control of ransom negotiations. Just to delve a bit deeper into that then, so if I'm a, I'm a pirate, what, what are the incentives then for, for the pirate? I, I imagine, of course, they, they take a ship and then they're, look, they're looking for the ransom, but what's going on in the background there? What are they, 
what's their strategy and what's the strategy of maybe the negotiator then in, in, in that negotiation? Well, ideally, if you're a pirate, you want to ta- you don't want to take a ship hostage at all. Right. You, know, you want to take the cargo off, sell everything, maybe take the crew hostage and sell them as well. And then you want to repaint the ship and sell the ship. That's cool piracy. Yeah. So clearly this wasn't possible in the Somali context because you couldn't land the cargo. Mm. So all they could do was hold the ship hostage. And they'd done this for, for decades. And um, there was an equilibrium solution in which maybe half a dozen ships got hijacked every year. And uh, the uh, insurance companies took care of the negotiations and the pirates always let the ships go after three months for about $100,000. And that was completely sustainable. What happened in Somalia was that there were some ship owners that decided to wrest control of the negotiation and say, okay, I don't want to wait for three months. I happily give you a million, but I want my people back now. Mm. Which then created a perverse set of incentives in that pirates thought, well, why are we settling for 100,000 if we could get talking to the ship owners and put pressure on them and escalate the violence? and the threats, and get more money. So you get this unstable ransom path where every ransom then sets a new precedent, and you get ever and ever higher ransoms. So you move from one equilibrium to this unstable equilibrium path where hijack for ransom in the Somali Basin is no longer insurable on the sort of insure-and-go basis. And then you get navies moving in, and then you get private security, and you ultimately end up with this high private security equilibrium where nobody gets hijacked because the incentives for pirates are just so bad because they're most likely to get killed if they attack somebody. So how did that incent that first equilibrium come into place in the first place? Because it, it seems like it worked out okay for everybody, but it came about because somebody was willing to, to enter into to an insurance contract and accept, accept this as, as an, almost an inevitable uh, outcome, I imagine. So what would, what would have happened if perhaps the, the insurance wasn't there in the first place? Was, was there any equilibrium at any point in, in that context? Well, kidnap for ransom insurance has existed for, uh, since, since the 1930s. So hijack for ransom insurance is, uh, is, is a slightly different product and that really only came, came up in, in response to um, heightened security issues of, of, of Somalia. Um, but ship owners always had insurance they had insurance for the ships, they had insurance for the crews, and they had insurance for the cargo. Okay. So insurers have always been very heavily involved okay. in sorting out any salvage-type operations on the high seas. And they, ne- of necessity, became involved in, the, um, in, in, in sorting out uh, any piracy issues as well. And for the insurers... It is of the utmost importance not to reward crime. Mm. Because if you start rewarding crime, then you're going to get a lot more crime. Then you say that time was, was, was an issue. So they needed to 
the ship owner was very conscious of time. And it seems then that this sort of inefficiency in the contract, in, this, in the setup of, of the insurance, led to this destabilizing the equilibrium and this escalation. And is that escalation still going on or is that something that sort of came to a head at some stage? Okay, there are, there are two, two different, different questions. So for the insurer, a crime situation is stable if the criminal doesn't make any economic profit from their business. So basically they've got to earn their money. Mm. And if they're getting $100,000 in the Somali context, that meant that they would have to sit there for several months. Also, they didn't have an incentive to let go of the ship until they'd eaten everything in the ship's store. Yeah, so ships are provisioned for that period of time. So there was, there was no way that somebody would come off the ship until everything was eaten. So that, that set a natural limit and that 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 was that that, that was a, a sustainable equilibrium for the shipping community. Nobody ever knew about this outside the shipping community. But every now and then, on average every two months, somebody would go missing off the coast of Somalia. Everyone knew that. And and as I said, there was also really strong norms that yes, your ship would disappear, but it would come back in one piece and all of your sailors will be fine. So, so it, 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 it was a problem that was, that was completely contained within the shipping community and only came, became public knowledge when these first big ransoms were, were paid. And as I said, it's not escalating anymore because it's impossible or nearly impossible to hijack a ship in the first place. And therefore, what would happen to ransom is a big point. And uh, you've done some work on maybe the negotiation process. Maybe you could sort of explain to us how that works and maybe it's perhaps more relevant in, in other contexts when it comes to uh, when it comes to kidnapping um, maybe you could just give us an outline of, of some other aspects of kidnapping and then maybe how the, how the ransom negotiation process uh, tends to take place so, so if, if you want to sell kidnap for ransom insurance then clearly you need to make sure that your negotiation process works extremely reliably you don't have a product where we say, okay, 70% of your people will come home alive. Yeah. yeah so the, the, the ransom negotiation process is, is all about ensuring the safety of the hostage. But it's also about creating some very clear focal points so that you validate the kidnappers' expectations as to how much they're getting. And, and it, it almost becomes like a piece of theatre to negotiate the ransom. Yeah, so you, you, you have a norm where people in the Niger Delta go missing from, from oil rigs, etc. and it takes four to five days and get settled for $10,000. Yeah, that's, that's something that everybody can live with and all you need to do then is create a story that validates that expectation. And that means that you don't put the executive of Shell onto the end of a phone. But you manage the kidnappers' expectations to say, well, this is not a case for the company, this is a part-time employee, and the family will be negotiating. And the family can't raise very much money, so you put someone who's credit-constrained into the picture to front the negotiation, 
and you validate their expectations and it flows now you 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 create a kidnapping situation in which kidnapping is is, is part of doing business in a particular situation but it's it's it's, it's relatively benign I, mean, I don't want to be obviously it's horrible for the hostages when it happens but at the other end, it's 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 fairly routine, and the fact that it is routine, the fact that it is a repeated interaction, makes it governable because the kidnappers know they have to behave. Sure, uh, do, you know, so their expectation, because it's a repeated game, they want repeat business, so they have to you manage your expectations. I imagine to say, right, well, this is this is what can. The, the the kidnappers next of kin can afford and this is therefore what you should expect to get in return and the, the incentive for the kidnapper then is to agree with, with what's with the terms so that they can the next kidnapping will go to to plan overall if i can kidnap people kidnapping is is, is a disequilibrium behavior anyway yeah, because if you know that i can kidnap you you'd rather pay me not to kidnap you or any of your colleagues yeah in fact, your university would probably pay me not to kidnap any of you. Sure. And I'd much rather just get the protection money than sure. engage in the business of kidnapping. Yeah. So, so we only see kidnapping as an out-of-equilibrium behaviour anyway, um, when, when there, there isn't the possibility of really protecting an area like the Gulf of Guinea. Mm. It's too big. Yeah. So, so you'd see in, in, in that case... You could see appropriate behaviour there, but but generally people kidnap because because of information problems because they don't know who can protect them they don't know how much to pay them the kidnapper doesn't know how much to charge them so kidnap is usually a way of of creating a long term protection relationship making protection relationship work better so as far as the insurance company is concerned. <laughs> 99% of the business of selling kidnap insurance is making sure that nobody gets kidnapped in the first place. And the resolution business is, is there as a plan B in, in, in the background. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's about the protection money. And so if you go into a, a, an area where it's like it, there is a chance of being kidnapped, the job of the of the insurance company is to make sure that, that you're covered in terms of protection money. That's that's that that's the natural equilibrium then in that context. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not going to sell you kidnap insurance unless they're completely sure that you've done absolutely everything to minimise the chance of being kidnapped. And if there isn't a chance of getting sensible protection, then they tell you evacuate your staff. The whole issue of of. of uh, of kidnapping and the whole issue of insurance and the type of kidnaps that, that take place. And it's not necessarily between the person who's, who's at risk of being kidnapped. It's a kidnap contract with, with a company as opposed to uh, maybe an individual. Could you maybe explain this dynamic that that can be a play in a lot, of, a lot of cases? Yeah, you don't buy kidnap insurance for yourself because it sets up all the wrong incentives. Right. Um, while you might not exactly relax your vigilance to avoid being kidnapped, it will change the negotiation strategy of the family. And uh, 
if you go to your kidnapper and say, I'm insured for a million, then that's what your kidnapper is going to try and get, and a bit more than that. So the moment you find out that you've got kidnap insurance and tell your kidnapper, you've invalidated your kidnap insurance. Because as far as the insurers are concerned, this is about minimizing the payment and the reward for crime. Right, right. And it, okay, so if you if you reveal this information straight away, you're you're no longer covered, and then they can negotiate the ransom on the basis that the person no longer has insurance. So it's, it's companies that buy it on behalf of their employees, but as soon as they reveal that information to the com- to their employees, it is invalidated. Yeah, so it's held at a very high level. So it's about it's about that moral hazard problem that that's set up where we say. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm very valuable. <laughs> I'm insured for a million. That might make, make, make the hostage feel a lot safer, but it makes the rest of that company's employees, it puts a bullseye target on their back. Yeah? So it puts everyone else at risk, and, 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 and that's what's got to be avoided. Yeah, you can buy one person back, but at the cost of putting lots of other people at risk. And of course, if you pay a massive ransom to, to, to a criminal or terrorist group, then they're unlikely to invest that in soup kitchens. Sure, sure. Or education. Yeah, they're going to wreak havoc on the local community. So there's a sort of big moral and ethical question of, do you really want to maximise the reward to crime? That's interesting, the moral and, and ethical aspects. Part of the whole market for kidnap and market for ransom insurance is that you're paying a certain amount to the um to the kidnappers so is there a tension between what's optimal from the insurance point of view maybe what what governments and other sort of institutions might uh, prefer to take place and what what would be an equilibrium in that sense or that that, that, that would keep keep all these these parties happy or is there is there a tension at all well, there is one party that you haven't mentioned, and that is the, the hostage and their family. Sure. Yeah, so so presumably, people will feel a very strong moral compulsion to save their loved ones, and pretty much at any price. Yeah, so if this is about your child, yeah. it's going to be very difficult for you to walk away and say, no, I'm not going to pay a criminal group for my child or for your wife. Yeah. So, sure. so there is a there is there, you have a moral um, compulsion and, um, and 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 they're very strong social norms about this about not walking away from 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 your loved ones. And on the other hand, you have the well, what's going to happen with the money once I've handed it over? Yeah. Yeah. yeah? So, so these are pulling in opposite directions, and 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 you cannot satisfy both really at the same time except the market this insurance market has come up with this elegant way of squaring the circle of saying yes you can pay but you're only going to pay a normal economic profit to the kidnapper because if you give them a normal economic profit it doesn't encourage them to do more of it Mm -hmm. but it also doesn't leave them with any profit to then go out and plant bombs and kill people and massacre villagers and sure. wreak more havoc on the local community. Okay. Yeah? So, yes, it is It is problematic, but politically it's just as problematic to say to families, well, 
I'm sure you care about your your son, but doesn't take this one for the team. Yeah. It just doesn't work. So, so, so you get this sort of wishy-washy. This is this is the political situation. This is this is what we sign up to. We'll never pay a terrorist organisation, and then the majority of, of of governments say okay, but we'll negotiate a quiet ransom of several million dollars anyway. And so in your research, have you come across any interesting examples of where certain negotiations have taken place, something that that maybe where maybe perhaps this sort of model works or goes to plan and no, like nobody gets hurt or there's no extreme cases where people get hurt? Or maybe is or would you have an example then where maybe it, something came into play where it, it, it went a bit astray? Well, if you look at the media then you, 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 you see a lot of cases that have clearly gone very wrong. So, so you get a very skewed idea of what Kidnap for Ransom is about because the kidnaps that I'm studying, the particularly these of insured kidnap for ransom, and a lot of the local or local kidnap, that, that has its norms and its procedures. And I've, um, I've been reassured repeatedly that, yes, people do die, but, but murder isn't part of the game. Yeah, that, 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 obviously, every now and then, somebody does something stupid. Somebody tries to escape and somebody shoots them in the back, that kind of thing. Um, people do aggravate the hostage takers and the hostage takers might be high on drugs or something. So, so things do happen, but it's, it's not really part of, part, part, part of the plan. Um, when things go, go wrong, it tends to be the ones where you... You have people who are not used to negotiating, yeah. So people doing it off their own bat, and uh, when the press get involved, so that that gets very interesting because obviously, if you're trying to manage people's expectations of how little the victim's family can, can can afford, and then you have the press going in and saying, oh, but their uncle has got this massive place in Geneva and have a look at the size of his pool, then you're going to get a lot of problem. Or, or you then somebody says, oh, let's make a fundraising campaign for these lost sailors. And then, then, then the kidnappers just sit back and waiting for the money to trickle in. And, and things get... Completely thrown out when you've got when you've got politicians involved, it becomes a political problem. You know, so as, as long as it's firms or families, in particular families, negotiating, it is ultimately going to be about money. And, and with money, you can find a solution. But as soon as you get politics involved, then you just open a whole Pandora's box of political concessions multi-dimensional bargaining and then things get very messy very quickly and then if you have multiple hostages that particular group is bargaining over then they might start torturing some hostages to get more money on others and and, and, and that's that's when things really get get, get thrown out but the insured solution is, is, is very much more impressing on the kidnappers you're negotiating for each one separately. Everyone you kill or maltreat will know other value that you're going to get. It's not good business. Behave. 
but but we're we're seeing in the media we're seeing the bad ones and when 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 you look at why they've gone wrong it's often because the media were involved in the first place or because the media pushed politicians to get involved that's that's really interesting and it looking at it from an economics perspective it seems definitely you have this equilibrium and then something comes in and, and tips you off that equilibrium and next thing is it, it's very unpredictable where it's going to land and if you have different expectations it can yeah it can lead you to to to, to uncharted territory and, and, and politicians often think they can do better for the hostage that they're negotiating for and it will solve a political problem now hmm. the insurance business is different because they don't obviously care about bringing that hostage back but they also care about all the other people that they don't want to get kidnapped sure yeah and all the hostages that they will have to deal with in the future and the beauty of the uh, the, the system that we have with, with, with Lloyds of London and a very limited number of insurers is that they find it very easy to act collectively mm. yeah? in in a way that governments don't so the Swiss government negotiating over a hostage in Syria hopes that the next hostage is going to be Italian or French or German, not one of theirs. So they don't care about the spillovers. In the underwriting room, if you get something wrong, then everybody else in your club will know about it. Right, okay. And if you get things wrong repeatedly, then you can be ejected from the club. Okay. and So it's a very... Brilliant disciplining mechanism that never gets spilled, spelled out in a way, but it's there. Okay, very interesting. All the institutional measures are in in, in place for, 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 for acting collectively, thinking long term, thinking about all the future cases that are going to hit that group of people. So it's it's club governance at its at its best, and that's what we're we're really missing in the international realm when it comes to. Terrorists kidnap for ransom where insurers are prevented by international law from acting. That equilibrium and the nature of the repeated game, that would be a disincentive then for terrorists to maybe escalate things. Or sorry, not terrorists, but somebody who's a kidnapper. It seems kidnappers' objective is not to kill. It's just a routine to, to go through to get the ransom. Because you're aware of that, then that's not in anybody's interest at all to, to get to that stage where somebody is... Is, is, is seriously hurt. Does that only really happen when you have this external influence of media or, or politicians? Well, it, it it always happens when a worried family member says, just stop whatever you're doing, I'll pay you whatever you need to do to stop. Mm, okay. Yeah, so if somebody puts a gun to my loved one's head and I say, I've just found an extra $100,000 to make you stop doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sets up the incentive to do something worse next time, doesn't it? Sure, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so the kidnappers are always trying to ramp up that emotional side of it. Yeah? So what, what, what a crisis responder will do is to prepare the person on the phone, running mm. the negotiation, fronting the negotiation, for that eventuality and say... We're on phone call five. We usually get the one with the ear. Don't worry about it. We have never yet received an ear. 
Right, right. Okay. Yeah, so so it's about putting things into context, calming things down. And if you prepare for the ear or the finger or the gun to the head, and you know that it's like, well, this is I'm finding this really distressing and I can't talk to you while you're doing this. So I'm gonna put the phone down now mm. and we'll talk again when you've calmed down. Yeah. Then you haven't rewarded the bad behaviour. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So so it's 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 a, it's about not never ever ever rewarding a threat with finding extra money. It sounds a bit like how you deal with children. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. You, the, 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 the more you give in, the more you escalate. Yeah. And, okay, every now and then these things happen and, and, and somebody makes a concession, but really the, the, the kidnapping game will only end if, if the kidnappers think they cannot extract more than it costs them to hold the hostage. For, 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 for another period. And if you erratically promise lots of money every now and then, they, they will they will they will keep trying. So if 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 if, if you if you hold firm and say this is all that all that I have, hmm. whatever you do, then eventually they get the message. And is it is it the, the family member, the loved one dealing directly usually? Or would you have maybe a third party who's less emotionally involved doing the negotiations? Well, it's, as I said, it's, a, it's about managing the kidnapper's expectation. And yeah. if you can put someone on the phone who looks financially constrained, that's, that's a good thing. You know, it it might, might better not be the mother or the father. It, it, it might be an uncle yeah, but 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 as soon as as you say, well, here here we have a consultant, a specialist crisis response specialist who who's costing the family thousands of pounds a day. That escalates. They, they know there's money. Yeah? Sure. So, so you, you're trying to make it look like a shoestring operation, whether or not it is. It's it's a wonderful signaling game. So I suppose, okay, so one other thing then I think that you touched on as well is that the whole dynamics of the market, and I think we sort of touched on it already, is that the insurer doesn't want to keep, um, doesn't want to keep, uh, doesn't want to give too much money to the, um, the supernormal profit or, or whatever to, to the kidnapper because then it increases expectations. But would, would that then signal, if you like, a signal to other people to enter the market? Would, so is, is it in the case, is it in the interest of the, uh, is it in the interest of the insurer to make sure that's kept at a normal level, the return, to make sure that we don't get too many, too many kidnapping events? Well, that's, that's exactly what this is about. Not setting tongues wagging in criminal communities saying this is the business to be in, like Somali piracy was for a while, where rather than having two or three gangs hijacking six ships a year, you, you suddenly have hundreds of people out in the shipping lanes trying to, trying to catch merchant ships for, 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 for ransoming. Um, 
Uh, sometimes uh, there, there, there is this idea that, well, they, they don't have an incentive to make kidnapping go away either. Um, however, what insurers do is they respond to, to, to a threat. So this is people in London responding to a threat in Mali or in Mexico or in Nigeria, etc. Um, they're dealing with a problem that's not of their own making and that the local law enforcement hasn't got control of. So they're, 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 they're reacting to that. I mean, it is, it is not the job of insurers in London to make kidnapping in Mexico go away. But what they are doing is helping victims to minimise the amount of money that flows to these groups. And the alternative is always to say, OK, it's a terrorist organisation and you must not pay any ransoms or facilitate the payment of any ransoms to, the, to them. And at that point, the, the insurers just step away. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem. If you don't want them, you can, you can see how you get on without them. But the problem then is that generally governments say, but we do want our citizens back and we're quite happy to pay millions for that. At which point you get the escalating ransoms problem, and you create massive incentives for for, 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 for kidnapping foreign tourists, foreign aid workers, uh, foreign journalists, whatever, and then entire areas of the globe can become no-go areas. And you touched on it there, and I think you've written extensively on the issue of uh, kidnapping as a way to finance terrorist organizations. Perhaps you could just tell us a bit about to what extent that, that exists and where it exists and, and in what contexts. So the, there is the definition of, of, of terrorist kidnapping is interesting in this because it depends on whether or not the organization that holds your loved one hostage is on the list of proscribed organizations held by the UN. Yeah, so if you want to have reasonably civilised ransom negotiations, it's very much in your interest that your kidnapper doesn't end up on that list. So, for example, the British government was uh, considering at some stage whether the Somali pirates were a terrorist organisation because they had very clear links to al-Shabaab and the ship owners just lobbied very, very strongly. Said, "No, this is this is a criminal. This is not terrorist." Mm-hmm. So, so terrorist is it's a bit of a it's a, it's a political construct. Um, once an organisation is prescribed and is on that list of prescribed organisations, then you cannot ensure a ransom. And at that point, it then is up to the government to either take over the negotiation or to say we never negotiate with terrorists, which would be their duty under international law. Uh, Unfortunately, very few nations keep to that commitment when it actually comes to the question of whether or not they're going to abandon one of their citizens. What what would be optimal policy options in terms of tackling this issue? Well, you could go after the terrorists if you if you if you could, uh, but usually they're in somebody else's territory. I mean, there's there's a problem for the British government to move into Mali and tackling their terrorists. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's there are limited options for this. So so the rule is you don't at least you don't facilitate terrorism um, by paying ransoms. 
But then the problem is that some governments do, and often the host government is actively involved in channeling the ransom to the terrorists, or you have a third-party government that brings back hostages as a, as, as a, as a diplomatic gift. Yeah, so... Gaddafi was uh, very active in this area, so people, or countries that didn't want to negotiate for terrorists on their own behalf were then presented by the colonel of the Gaddafi Trust with their citizens coming back um, for whatever millions and untold misery. So, but in, 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 in a way, the, the, the alternative of just saying minimize the ransoms and and, and, and and keep it private it seems to be a better way than saying let's put bureaucrats in charge who, who find it extremely difficult to demonstrate any kind of financial constraint who are pressed for time where any threats that the uh, that, that the kidnappers make will be amplified through the media, etc. That makes them very nervous. You know, the, the, the professional kidnappers all about resistance, about saying, "Well, let's give this time. Let's sort it out properly." Because it's, it's it's time that makes the kidnapper nervous. You know, if, if 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 you the, the more keen you seem to want to end it, the less the more vulnerable you are in your negotiating position. So, so everything conspires for bureaucrats to settle very highly and, and, and also to respond with bigger offers on being put under pressure through, through torture or torture threats. So this political, so this political definition of a terrorist organisation really seems to be a distortion in the market then because it would be much better much more efficiently dealt with if it was just kept private and keeping the politics out of the situation absolutely yeah yes it's, it's counterproductive it's very well meant I have, I have no doubt about that but but it is counterproductive um not least because as far as the kidnappers are concerned there isn't a difference between a terrorist and a criminal kidnapping. And if the terrorist kidnapping gets a ransom that's an order of magnitude higher than a criminal one, there's no reason why a hostage shouldn't be sold to a terrorist organisation for mutual gain. So that's that's what, what happened in, in, in Syria. That you have groups trading hostages amongst them until they were with the company, with a company, saying company, but with a terrorist organisation that could get the maximum amount of return on each hostage. So yes, you just amplify the misery of people. Is that terrorist ban? Is that something that's likely to be more pervasive as time goes on, or is it something that just is there and will be there forevermore? Or is there any way that that this effect? can be minimised or changed going forward, do you, do, you, do you think? I think governments have got a little bit better at keeping quiet about negotiations. So I've, I've, I've noticed a change there that we hear about hostages coming back. But we don't hear about the negotiation on a daily basis, which I think is, 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 is super, super helpful. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 really difficult to to even have a conversation about this topic because 
everything that is done is being done secretly and therefore it isn't happening. Nobody was there when it didn't happen. And that doesn't really encourage... It doesn't encourage a, a productive conversation. Absolutely. Well, and uh, thank you very much for um, for agreeing to speak. And it's fantastic that uh, it's fantastic to get somebody with such interesting work. Okay, no problem at all. Pleasure to talk to you. Well, pleasure, and and thank you very much. Well, thanks, Professor Shortland, for a really interesting discussion. If you want to support the podcast, don't forget the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash at the margin. Okay, until next time. <laughs>